we are not innocent. The Allies committed war crimes during World War II. A study by Robert J. Lilly estimates that U.S. servicemen were responsible for the rape of 14,000 women in England, France, and Germany during World War II. British troops plundered Glucksburg Castle and desecrated 38 coffins in the castle mausoleum. There are reports of soldiers from every Allied army taking body parts as souvenirs. There is even a photo of U.S. Navy Lieutenant E.V. McPherson gleefully playing with a Japanese skull aboard the USS PT-341. The purpose of today's episode is not to point fingers at one country and say how bad they are. The purpose is to allow us to remember, because if we ever forget, we are doomed to repeat the same mistakes again. You're listening to Old Timey Crimey, crimes from the golden age of yesteryear. Now, here's your hosts, Christy and Scott. It's old timey crimey. I am clueless Christy. I am clueful Scott. <laughs> Is that a thing? I guess a clueless, clueful. Yeah, there's got to be an opposite. There, there, yeah, there has to be. Clued in, I guess. I, maybe. But maybe. I like clueful. You should have seen Christy's face <laughs> during that intro. She's like, uh, uh. Yeah. <laughs> I was like trying not to say anything because I was like, nope, nope, it's the intro. Because <laughs> I'm so totally just in the woods here. I know nothing. Um, uh, it's, it's Scott is doing me a huge favor and doing the research uh, for this week and next so that I can focus on finishing out the semester. My house very much reflects it, it's in its end of the semester state wherein there is just stuff everywhere because I'm not doing housework. See, my house reflects the fact that my knees hurt from the change in the weather mm. and that I have seasonal depression. Uh. <laughs> so. Yay. Our houses are a reflection of ourselves and our states. You know you know it's bad. There's there's one thing I care very 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 deeply about in my life and it's sad but it's transformers. <laughs> That's not, it's not sad. It's fine. That's <laughs> but you, you know it's bad whenever I look in the Transformers room and go, man, I need to vacuum. A couple of the, the cats have knocked down a couple of them. I don't have the energy to pick Aww. it up. Yeah, it's, but yeah, I look down and it's just like, I'll get it later. But I've been forcing myself to do stuff and that forcing is really kind of upping the levels. Plus, I've been taking a lot of vitamin D. Oh yeah, that'll help. See, yes, I, it I, will. I treat myself with podcasts. Like, you know, I, I did my Spotify thing and mm-hmm. I have listened to 66,000 minutes of podcasts this year. That's a lot of podcasts. I, and all, my top five were all true crime. <laughs> I don't know how many, but I'd be willing to bet that I'm in the running with you. Yeah, probably. We both. Yeah, and that really helps me if I'm like, I don't really feel like doing the dishes. But I'm like, you know what? I'll listen to another episode of whatever you know true crime podcast I'm on right now, and it it really does help. The only thing is, is that I can't listen to podcasts obviously while I'm grading, and that's the thing I need the most motivation to do. So I'm like, oh, I'll listen to music, I guess. So, um, I need to tell you something. Oh, please do. I have a ghost. You have a ghost? I have a ghost! Oh, that's awesome! I love ghosts. They're like people with full-body amputations. Yes! And, uh, my my person with a full-body amputation likes to party. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So you know Al Jackson was gone, uh, he he was on travel for a day or two this week. Yes. Well, um, also setting the scene, 
Um, we have Jackson loves LED light strips. Uh, if you're just tuning in and haven't listened before, obviously Jackson is my husband and not like my dog. Um, <laughs> I wonder how many people think that I'm your husband. Yeah, probably a lot. I was just, <laughs> yeah. like, I was wondering about that this week with some of the like other business we're attending to. I'm like, oh, I wonder. Yeah, because um, that's the thing. I- I'm guilty of it too. I used to listen to Thinking Sideways and I would sit back and go, I wonder which one the girl's married to. It's like, it doesn't, she doesn't have to be married to any of them, no, Scott, really but yes, she does. <laughs> So, yeah, we have these, this LED light strip running under our counters, and it can be different colors. It can also, like, have, like, a setting where it switches back and forth between colors, like flashes and stuff like that. So um, I go to put the ducks to bed, and when I come inside, the light show is on in the kitchen. Hmm. And I, I'm the only one in the house, aside from the cats. And, yes, Hemingway may have thumbs, but he doesn't know how to get up onto the counter and into the cupboard where the remote is. The Ooh. remote that you have to walk across the kitchen and stand next to the fridge and point it at the receiver for the LED light strips. Uh, I mean, like, you literally, the remote is all the way across. You couldn't, it, it's not in line of sight. It needs mm-hmm. to be in line of sight. And also, the cupboard door was closed. So I'm just standing there, I'm like, what, what, what? Is this serial killer, like, having fun with me? Are they toying with me? Is this cat and mouse? (laughs) Do you know if the remote is RF or UV? I have no idea. Okay. I do know that you need to be, like, right there. It needs to be line of sight. Okay, then it's probably UV. It uses uses ultraviolet light instead of a radio frequency. Okay. Now, believe it or not, just certain ways the sun hits could actually turn the lights on. It was dark. Oh, <laughs> I mean, it was getting towards like it was probably like five minutes before dusk. It was actually yeah. pretty dark outside when I took the, the put the ducks to bed. I was like, oh, I'm a little late. OK, on this. OK. So, yeah, like I have no idea what but it, the ghost likes to party. It wants the LED light strips on. So I'm just going to run with it. And I didn't get serial murdered. So because uh, hey. that was my first thought was, oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah. This is it. This is this is how I die. <laughs> the serial killer that plays with all my lights and stuff. And then nothing happens. So I defaulted to ghost. Fair enough. Fair enough. So, um, now that I've told my ghost story, um, should we get started? Yeah, Are you this ready? is this is going to be rough. I'm not sure I'm ready, but buckle in. I don't know if I ever will be, so I may as well just sit back and listen. So, this is the Sea and Poison. Now, the Sea and Poison is an incredible book. I'm going to pull out my copy of it right here and show everybody on Twitch. There it is, The Sea and Poison. It took me forever to find this. I'd never heard of this story. This, uh, this is a fictionalized account written by Shusaka Endu, um, translated by Michael Gallagher. Okay. And whoever, good, good on whoever owned this book before me, because thank you for all the notes nice. that you wrote in there. It made my job a lot easier. I don't know who you were. But it made my job so much easier. So if that was you, Mr. and Mrs. Blue Highlighter, thank you. <laughs> that is their actual mm-hmm. legal name. Mr. and Mrs. Blue Highlighter. <laughs> They're transitioning. On May 5th, 1945, just a few months before the war ends, a B-29 Superfortress takes off from the Pacific island of Guam and completes the bombing run against an airfield at Fukuoka. Now, the B-29 Superfortress, these were incredible machines. Um, My father was a tail gunner in B-17s, not the B-29s. But the B-29 Superfortress 
four engine propeller driven heavy bomber with a pressurized cabin, dual wheel tricycle landing gear, and an analog computer controlled fire control system. Wow. In 1945. Wow. Right? $3 billion to design. $42 billion today. It exceeded the $1.9 billion cost of the Manhattan Project that developed the atomic bomb. So the B-29s that dropped the atomic bombs cost more to create than the atomic bombs they were dropping. Whoa. Yeah. Only 20 B-29s remain today. Uh, Only two, Fifi and Doc, can still fly. Fifi and Doc. Fifi and Doc. I had a, my, my last car before my current one was in, named uh, Gigi, so oh. stood for grocery getter. <laughs> my my car is named Counterpunch. <laughs> my current car is named Tiggy. Oh, the Tiguan. <laughs> the Tiguan. I like the Tiguan. It sounds like something that should be said during a telenovela. <laughs> Veronica, mi esposo no comprende mi amor por tu. Entra mi Tiguan. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Okay. So this particular B-29 Super Fortress was rammed by a Japanese fighter uh, piloted by Kinzuo Kasua. He destroyed both planes and himself. 19 years old. He was... Okay, so he was... This was the American side, Japanese... This is the Japanese fighter that crashes into the American plane. Oh, okay. All right, all right. He didn't shoot them down. He He rammed them down. Okay, all right. Um, Kinzuo Kasua was 19 Mm. years old and decided to take his own life. He was a kamikaze. And 12 of the crew bail out. 12 of the Americans bails out. There is a big no-no in the Geneva Convention. You do not kill a parachuting pilot or crewman. Somebody's in a parachute. They're not fair game until they hit the ground. One dies whenever the parachute cords are cut by another fighter flying through the parachute. (gasps) So he just plummets to the ground. Oh, oh, God. That has to be the worst Mm -hmm. feeling. Like, I mean, obviously dying, yeah. But that moment when you're like, okay, you know, like I I got out of the the disaster, the certain death, and now, you know, I'm headed towards the ground, towards freedom, and oh, here comes a fighter. Oh, no. Like that is, that is, oh, oh. And here's the thing. We don't know how many people actually died on this plane because... The crew was so hastily assembled in Guam, there was no record of of who was who exactly was on this plane wow. and who wasn't. So we do have names, but we're not really certain who was who. Um, two more were stabbed to death by locals upon landing. The B twenty nine crews were not well liked. Where did it land? It landed in just outside of well, they landed. Because well, they're they parachuting yeah, yeah. Uh, just outside of Fukuoka, Japan. Okay, all right. Uh, one, as he's there, he's got his sidearm with him. One of the soldiers empties all the bullets he has, and the the crowd is still coming at him. Oh, God. And he ends up killing himself with his last bullet. It was... I mean, it, whenever... We don't really have an idea of how bad World War II was. We kind of have it like as a glorified... Oh, it's very glorified. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, and granted, it was for you know a, a, a very good reason to fight the Nazis. Mm-hmm. Yes, was that was a that was a very good thing to do. Um, even though we didn't do it until we were first you know like kind of pushed into it. But 
like yeah war is i mean war is hell there's yeah. a reason there's a saying you know yeah we we have the uh <clears throat> we have like the Audie murphy films and we have you know all the heroes but i don't think we get into how grisly war actually is uh nine of the crew are taken into custody captain marvin watkins is separated from his men sent to tokyo for interrogation he is tortured immensely but he survives dies of old age later on wow the rest are taken to kyushu university in fukuoka on the first day three of the prisoners are scheduled for vivisection (gasps) which if you don't know vivisection is dissecting while alive no 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 the vivisection orders are as follows. I just want to pause and say that vivisection sounds like, if you just take away the context and the actual meaning, it sounds like it should be a fun word. Yeah, yeah, it does. Viva! viva. <laughs> like, like, viva! And, you know, like, you know, like, it just sounds like it's vivid. It sounds like it should be fun and exciting. And really, it's just not. I think we need to look up the etymology because isn't, uh, like, vive, V-I-V, uh, well, yeah. doesn't mean alive? From Latin, vivis, alive. Mm-hmm. Um, from Pi root gue, to live, ending from dissection. So, live dissection. Yeah, live dissection. Vivisection. The orders are as follows. We, we do have the actual orders. Number one, normal saline is to be injected in the bloodstream of the first prisoner. The possible quantitative limits of such a procedure before death occurs are to be ascertained. Now, this is important because normal saline is made by dissolving 0.95 grams of salt into 100 cc's of distilled water. How many, uh, how much could be used in place of blood had not been discovered yet. So that's what they're trying to figure out Mm -hmm. by... uh, uh... Right. It was thought one to two liters was safe, but it wasn't known. So they're ascertaining that. And they're also using it to ascertain if they can use salt seawater instead of saline. Uh, I'm just thinking of salt and wounds, too. Yeah. Like, just, I, I, uh, it's all bad. Yeah. Number two, air is to be injected into the veins of the second prisoner, and the volume at which death occurs is to be ascertained. We, we knew at the time 500 cc's of air would kill a rabbit, but it was unknown for a human at the time number three there is to be an excision of the lung of the third prisoner the limit to which the bronchial tubes may be cut before death occurs Uh, is to be ascertained oh i i'm so uncomfy right now dr osawa of osaka imperial university had devised a promising method of lung removal Remember, tuberculosis was... Yeah, it was, was a, a really big killer of, of all across yes. the planet. Yeah. And in fact, in the fictionalized novel, like one, of the, like one of the sympathetic patients, the Japanese patients, is suffering from tuberculosis. And the doctors in the fictionalized novel are talking about, well, we can operate on her, but she's going to die. Um, they were doing rib removals to give... It was thought that giving more space inside the chest cavity... I'm sorry I'm not being as funny as I normally am this week. <laughs> I was worried about that. I was like, 
Am I gonna have to be the funny one? Yeah. I I can't do that. I'm I'm sitting here all tense. My my yeah. shoulders were up by my ears, and I just had to like like consciously pull them down. Like, okay, calm down. Normally, <laughs> normally, as I'm writing the notes down, I'll think of little jokes and I'll write them down for later. And I went, "There's nothing fucking funny about this." Yeah, yeah, there really you know. isn't. I was, I was sitting here while you were saying these things, and I was like, "Yeah, can I can we have a joke because I need one right now, but I don't have any because it's not." <laughs> Funny. Neither do I. Neither do I. Uh, anyway, Dr. Osawa of Osaka Imperial University had devised a promising method of lung removal, but doctors were uncertain to the extent of bronchial tubing that could be cut. Um, as I said, the, the B-29 crews were despised. Some of the captives were beaten. Um, and it was... Nobody really had any objections. It was just kind of like a thought in the back of their heads... Uh, they're going to be killed anyway. They're they're going to be executed. Why not? I mean, I can think of several why yeah. not, like answers to why not. Yeah. I've, I've got a couple. <laughs> so the unnamed doctor and colonel in the local regiment decide to make the prisoners available for vivisection. Uh, according to a Dr. Toshia Tono, who was a medical assistant at the time, he was a first-year med student, uh, the first victim was Teddy J. Ponchka of Pennsylvania. Oh, uh, he was stabbed in the shoulder and chest, oh. or chest, while he was right afterwards by the by the villagers okay. who had got him. And whenever they took him in, he assumed he was being treated for the wounds. Oh no! He had one lung removed, and Surgeon Tara Teruso reopens the incision, reaches into his chest, and squeezes his heart to stop it. Ah, no! Yeah. Have we discussed how medical horror is like a thing that I can't deal with? Because <laughs> uh, we, we maybe need to discuss that. Yeah. <laughs> maybe. Uh, oh, God. Okay. Keep going. Keep going. Yeah. Okay. Now, now, Dr. Tono went, no, that's not how he died. Dr. Tono claims that Ponchka died of a combination of seawater injections and blood loss. <sighs> but the, the other stuff... Like, was, was Dr. Tona denying that the heart squeezing and everything? Or was he just saying, yeah, the heart squeezing happened, but that's not what actually killed him? The, he's not, he's denying the heart squeezing, okay. but the records show what records we have. We'll get into that later. Sure. Uh, shows that, yes, Tara Teresu reached in and they stopped heart action manually is the way it was put really healthy to drink to cope right <laughs> that's that's how it's supposed to work right <laughs> remember like i said we're doing this because nobody has ever heard of this have you ever heard of no, this no i've never heard of this shouldn't this be something taught absolutely so that we never ever ever do it again you are exactly right yes yeah. yes nobody should be doing this ever 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 this is incredibly cruel it's unethical uh, I mean, unethical seems like such a light word to apply to this. Oh, like this squeezing somebody's heart while, like, oh, well, that's unethical. No, it's, this it's is straight horrifying. up serial killer behavior. Yes, yes. This is legalized serial killing. Um, other soldiers had their livers partially removed to see how much liver they could live without. Uh, others had lobotomies in order to see if epilepsy could be controlled. The skull and the brain were drilled into to perform the lobotomies. Dr. Tono says there were no ethical debates at all. Not, e not even a one. No. Not even a, you know, just, hey, you know, on second thought, 
maybe experimenting on live human beings not so great. Yeah. No, no. Let's just let's go for it. Yeah. So uh, during the surgery, where are there, my Shakespearean insults? There, <laughs> during the surgery, there was so much blood that a constant stream of water had to be poured on the floor to constantly wash away the blood. It was Tono's job to keep water flowing over the floor and to prepare the seaweed drips to test if the seawater could be used as a substitute. Quoting Tono, the experiments had absolutely no medical merit. <laughs> they were being used to inflict as cruel a death as possible on the prisoners. I was in a state of panic, but I couldn't say anything to the other doctors. We kept being reminded of the misery the U.S. bombing raids had caused in Japan. I hated doctors for a while. I couldn't get to sleep without pills. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. feeling him <laughs> as far as that sentiment is concerned right now. <laughs> After the removal of a liver of one of the soldiers, one of the soldiers held it up and exclaimed, This is a removal of a liver, and we're going to see how long the man would live without the liver. It's, yeah, and to make things worse. Oh, okay. Livers were eaten. Oh. At least there are rumors that livers were eaten. Apparently, and if, go on to the Patreon, listen to this week's episode about Chin Chin Jima. Apparently, I found out it was pretty standard for Japanese to eat human liver at the time. It was... It, it was kind of like a trophy thing. I'm worried that this feels like one of those, like, racist stereotypes that just got perpetuated. Like, I, I really feel like I want some documentation on this. Here you go. But, like, the, the book is a fictionalized account. But Chichijima really happened. Several livers yes, were eaten. That's true. That's true. And even though in the war crime trials here, they're saying, no, no livers were eaten. There are people that said, oh, yeah, it happened. And the only reason it was thrown out, spoilers, there's going to be war crimes trials going on here for more than just this, believe it or not. But the only reason that was thrown out was because we didn't have enough evidence. Um, the remains of the soldiers are then preserved in formaldehyde to be studied. This is... Three months before the war ends. Oh my god. Oh. The. I hate those. It's not a near miss. It's like the other, or, or I guess it, because you don't, you don't miss it. It's not, mm -hmm. it's not missed. The tragedy is not missed. The tragedy is hit, but it's so close to the point where it could have possibly not happened. Yeah. The. They, after. They, they destroyed the files, as many files as they could. They destroyed the bodies because they didn't want to get found out for what they did. Okay. They had about a dozen U.S. POWs being held in Fukuoka camps that they were planning to vivisect. Mm -hmm. Three hours after the war ends, they execute them. Oh, Oh, <laughs> that's even worse somehow. Yeah. yeah. The vivisection. Okay. No, I can't. You can't really compare. It's it's all death. It's all horrible. But the war is over. No, yeah. you're not allowed to do that. Yeah, the war is over. But I'm assuming that it, that execution was done in the name of 
well, they know some stuff, and they're not on our side, so we should probably take care of that. Yeah. It's, uh... They heard the screams. Yeah. Yeah. And they'll tell the war crimes tribunal. The Japanese military, whenever... Whenever they said, do you know, after the surrender, they go, do you know where this troop is? Do you know where this troop is? Do you know where this troop is? Because they knew that they had gone down near Fukuoka. Mm -hmm. They go, yeah, we were holding them outside of a POW camp near Hiroshima. You destroyed them. You killed them. They actually lied and said that the U.S. troops had been killed in the atomic blast. Foreign students were attending Fukuoka University, and they're the ones that leaked the story mm. and arrests are made. U.S. authorities uh, soon learned the truth, but the POW families were initially told their loved ones were missing in action. Uh, someone sent prisoner Lieutenant Dale Planback's mother, Gertrude, a clipping from a Denver newspaper about the vivisections. They didn't give a name, but they just said, we knew the vivisections were happening. They didn't give a name, but they sent her, you know, her missing in action son a clipping, kind of like going, this is what happened. Oh. Gertrude writes the War Department repeatedly, nonstop. Finally gets notification that her son, quote, may have died in November of 1947. There's finally a formal confirmation on January of 1950 that that is how her son died. Uh, Planbeck's uh, daughter, Ginger, was born in... Uh, in 1945 he was being dissected whenever she was born oh and the horror just keeps on coming 1946 one of the surgeons fukijiro ishiyama commits suicide in prison um march 11th 1948 a full three years Afterwards, 30 people, some military, some from the university, are brought to a trial at Allied War Crimes. Uh, It's the tribunal in Yokohama, Japan. The charges are vivisection, wrongful removal of body parts, and cannibalism. Uh, There there were reports from the foreign students. Yes. Is this a war crimes tribunal? Yes. Okay, so it's not... uh, Okay. We talked in the the Patreon-exclusive... Um, about there being, at the time, in Japan, no law against cannibalism. Right. But you'll see, this is this was 45. After what happened to Chichijima, cannibalism was put on as a crime because we knew it was oh, happening. okay. Chichijima was before. Okay. All right. Yeah. I didn't have the timeline. Round about head. the same time. So this is actually three years after, after the trials of Chichijima. Okay. All yeah. right. All right. Keep going. I'm sorry. So that's quite okay. So... Cannibalism. Reports that some had eaten the removed livers. Uh, the liver was cooked and served to officers. <sighs> which we saw for certain at Chichijima. Mm-hmm. 23 are found guilty. But all the charges of cannibalism are dropped because there's just not enough proof. Five are given the death sentence. Four are given a life sentence. And 14 others are given various terms. Okay. September of 1950... U.S. General Douglas MacArthur reduces most of the sentences during the Korean War. A politically stable Japan was seen as key to, the, to halt the spread of communism. So he let them go as a sign of good faith. It's kind of infuriating. Um, 
it's it's really difficult for me when you can see the motivations like you just explained mm-hmm. of you know, m- making Japan politically stable and this would be uh, you know sort of uh, maybe a drop in the bucket towards that but it would be helpful but at the same time the injustice still stings yeah it still makes you it, it makes me angry you know absolutely so it's it's very mixed feelings you know are are hard to deal with because i just keep on going eh, but you know, it's the Larry David meme, you know, yeah. like, meh, meh, you know, I don't know, you know, where to focus. I'm like, okay, I can understand you can save a lot of lives by having, uh, you know, the, the Korean War go better with a politically stable Japan. But on the other hand, it's not fair to the people who were tortured. It's not fair to their families and those they left behind who have to live with this knowledge. And then as it's it's definitely insult to injury. Absolutely. To have these people walking free. I just want to say these people is not in any way a racist thing there. No, I'm saying no, no. these people as in like, these war criminals. Like I said, we were guilty of it too. Yeah. yeah. You know, we were we did abs- horrible shit. Absolutely. There like I do want our listeners uh in the intro I talk about a a uh, a military man playing with a Japanese skull on his boat. Mm-hmm. We have that man's name, and he's sitting there, and he's kind of like kneeling down at, it, laughing and playing with the jaw. Ugh. And no, we were horrible. We were absolutely horrible. Because what it comes down to is, no individual country is blameless because we are all made up of human beings, and every human being is capable of darkness. It's just that some of us are more likely to give in to it than others. And then you have the added effect of war is hell. War um, gives people sometimes more license to allow that dark side to come out and to give into it and um, privilege it. And then it just, it, it, it makes for even more chaos, more torture, more horror, and more of the awful, awful shit that we're, we're talking about today. And so it doesn't matter what nationality we, we are. Um, some people, granted, I think are have much darker than others. Mm-hmm. You know, like, absolutely. I'm not saying like you know, like everybody's capable of doing like you know Ted Bundy level shit or anything like that. But um, you know, basically, just what I'm saying is every single country is made up of humans, and every human being is capable of doing horrible shit. I, I think and that is my eloquent way of trying to deal with this. I think it goes a little bit beyond that too. I think that that physician is one of the occupations that sociopaths yes, gravitate that too. towards. Yeah, in this specific case, there is that. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the, and, and that can be good. Absolutely. Um, I am convinced that the person that did the surgery on my mother was a sociopath. He was incredibly soulless. He was a nice guy, though. He was a nice guy. And that is exactly the type of person that you want operating you on want you. You want somebody who's going to be able to remove themselves from the situation and remove emotion from the situation. And that is something that sociopaths are very, very good Absolutely. at. Absolutely. So there's that. But then if those sociopaths take that dark side that I talked about, if they walk down that dark path, if they choose that one, that's where you mm-hmm. end up with people eating livers and people being vivisected and just awful, awful shit. So, so yeah, doctor as a profession, I... Sometimes doctors scare me. <laughs> yeah. 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 
I mean, it's essentially the car mechanic of the human body. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and I don't know how anybody does it. Um, uh, I have a a sibling who is in healthcare. Uh, who, by the way, she's in healthcare and she still couldn't finish our, our Albert Fish episodes. So. Holy shit! <laughs> um, and You're gonna have fun this week too. Yeah, ER nurse. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah. I used to work in the ER at Sacred Heart Hospital in Cumberland, Maryland. I was a phlebotomist down there. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, and I'd seen some horrible shit just drawing blood. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, she she has. Oh some, look, some that stories. guy's that guy's leaping in, uh, carrying his own foot in a cooler. That's fantastic. <laughs> It's yeah, clever yeah. how you use the belt as a tourniquet. Oh, yeah. Good thinking. Very Yay. resourceful. You're like the MacGyver of, 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 of people who shot themselves. Of course, if you were very, very resourceful, you wouldn't have cut off your own foot now. What are you, dumbass? Yeah, there you Get go. over here in the chair. I need to draw your blood. So, what do you mean you're afraid of needles? See, I'm not saying all health professionals are oh, no. sociopaths, ISIS. You know? I'm, I'm saying... just saying that like, they, it, 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 to be that emotionally removed from body horror, mm-hmm. it is like uh it feels like it could be a step closer to that dark side and you you have to choose not to when you're if, if you're put in a position like this where you have enemy soldiers basically landing on you know crash landing on your doorstep mm-hmm. essentially and this opportunity arises and you're like well what should i do hmm i could treat them humanely and just uh, you know treat them as prisoners of war or, and then, you know, all, all the A, B, C mm-hmm. that you listed out. Um, so the, I think that's what scares me is that I feel like, even though I very much admire medical professionals and I could never do what they do uh, because uh, blood squicks me out and I'm not good in an emergency and all that stuff. So you, you, there, there's all that. But I also feel like um, when you can look at the human body so dispassionately, you can be, if pushed... Very far, very, very far, and in unusual circumstances, one step closer to viewing it as disposable. Right. It's, you, you start to become, you start to become, like, separated from the soul of it. Yes, exactly. That's yeah. very true. Yeah. And I think we've discovered that uh, when Christy doesn't have any research to do, Christy doesn't do comedy, Christy does philosophy. Yes. <laughs> and that's totally fine. That's totally fine. I think we need that to help us get us through anyhow. And I'm going to have so little for the tagline for this episode. That's, that's I think okay. It's gonna be, oh, no. It's going to be the <laughs> oh, tagline. Oh, no. Oh, oh no. no. All right. I, uh, continue on. I think we should soldier, soldier on. on. Yes. No, no pun. No God, pun. God damn it. Damn fuck. Damn it. <laughs> So, I actually looked up the Hippocratic Oath. Yes. Okay. The Hippocratic Oath, it was always, you know, first do no harm. You know, I saw that. I found out the Hippocratic Oath has changed throughout history. Ooh, interesting. Well, I guess that would make sense. It would yeah. have to evolve, especially as technology especially evolves, but other things too, like our, our morality evolves. Yeah. In the modern Hippocratic Oath... It actually says in there, I understand that there may come a time whenever it's uh, it's necessary for me to usher life out. Ooh. Well, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Look up, real quick, look up the Hippocratic Oath sure. on Wikipedia. I swear to fulfill, to the best of my ability and judgment, this covenant. I will respect the hard-won scientific gains of those physicians in whose steps I walk and gladly share such knowledge as is mine with all those who are to follow. I will apply for the benefit of the sick all measures that are required, avoiding those twin traps of overtreatment and therapeutic nihilism. 
I will remember that there is art to medicine as well as science, and that warmth, sympathy, and understanding may outweigh the surgeon's knife or the chemist's drug. I will not be ashamed to say I know not, nor will I fail to call in my colleagues when the skills of another are needed for a patient's recovery. I will respect the privacy of my patients, for their problems are not disclosed to me for th that the world may know. Most especially must I tread with care in matters of life and death. If it is given to me to save a life, all thanks. But it may also be within my power to take a life. This awesome responsibility must be faced with great humbleness and awareness of my own frailty. Above Holy all, fuck, right? I must not play at God. Wow. Holy that's fuck. That's only half of it, but that's the relevant yeah. part, so we'll stop there. Yeah. So, I mean, the whole do no harm. Do you see do no harm in there at all? No. And that's, that, that's what I thought it was. I thought, first, do no harm. Yeah. So, the Hippocratic Oath. I mean, the do no harm has been kind of there in but it's not been in the hippocratic oath for quite a while it does appear it does not appear in the ad 245 edition version of the oath similar intentions are vowed by i will abstain from all intentional wrongdoing and harm so that uh is is close but that's one of those things where it's like things get twisted it throughout history and throughout like common uh common knowledge becomes actually uh, not knowledge it becomes it's, it's it it's fake news yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's if, fake facts if if i were so inclined and believed in such a thing it's a mandela effect i was gonna say mandela effect was something mm -hmm. earlier with you so that's funny that you brought that up now <laughs> same brain same yeah, brain yeah. Oh, <laughs> Horrible medical experiments. Uh, <laughs> um, get ready to get angrier. Oh, no. In 1958, everybody involved was free. None <gasps> Wait, of the death the... sentences were carried out. Give me that fucking year again, please. 1958. So from sure. 48 to 58. 48 was the trial. 58, everybody went free. The only person who died was the one that committed suicide by his own hand. Slothy. I'm hugging Slothy, by the way. I'm hugging him with anger. Believe it <laughs> or not. But for comfort. Believe it or not, it gets fucking worse. No, 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 no. Kyushu University, where this took place, denies responsibility. Saying, even if the events occurred, not even acknowledging that they actually happened, but saying, even if the events occurred, as has been said, it is in no way responsible because its facilities have been used without permission and under military jurisdiction. Instead of going, I'm sorry. We're sorry. Our heart goes out to the family. So, nope, our hands are clean. It happened within our walls. Our staff did it, but our hands are clean. It was it was many episodes ago that I decided Slothy was going to be sort of our mascot and he was going to hang out with us for every episode. And I, I never really fully understood why uh -huh. until now because I knew somewhere deep down that I would need to hug Slothy. Yeah, it's is, making me feel so much better. Your therapy sloth. Yes. If you have a stuffed animal or a pillow nearby and you're freaked out right now and pissed off, hug it. I promise it'll help at least a little bit. Oh, no. It gets worse. Oh, fuck. Stop saying that. <laughs> Former faculty member Shoji Kawazoe prepared a 700-page school history in 1967 and devoted a whopping three pages to the vivisections. In 1992, one. One page. The three pages have been distilled down to one 
page. They released a new edition, like with textbooks. Mm-hmm. The really, it seems like the only person who has given a shit is a farmer by the name of Fumio Kudo, who owns the land where the B-29 crashed. Oh, wow. He has erected a monument to the soldiers, and their names are engraved. The soldiers, as far as we know, were John C. Kohlhauer, William R. Fredericks, Charles M. Kearns, Dale E. Plembach, Roger B. Williams, John E. Sarznecki, Robert C. Johnson, Leo C. Oenick, Teddy J. Ponchka, and Howard T. Shingledecker. Maybe. Maybe. The IDs of soldiers remains in doubt. Like I said, it was hastily put together. It was kind of an on-off-the-cuff mission. Um, according to a few surviving records, Johnson, Kieran's, Oink, and Shingledecker were not on the B-29. Instead, the names should be Jack M. Barry, Merlin R. Calvin, Jack V. Dengler, Billy J. Brown, Irving A. Corless and Charles Palmer. And one Japanese researcher believes there may have been one more soldier that we just don't have the name of. Uh, Tono spent years researching. Uh, the, the, the first year medical student whose job it was to prepare the saltwater IVs mm -hmm. and keep water running over the floor. Mm. He spent, he, he deserves to be called a hero as well because he spent years researching he knew this happened he was there and he ignored the pleas of his superiors going please do not do this tono revealed all in a book he uh he authored called disgrace the truth of the kyushu university vivisection incident wow. and tono i'm gonna leave this off here tono himself said the job of a doctor is to help people but here were doctors doing exactly the opposite. It's difficult to accept, but this really happened. I decided to tell the truth because I don't want anything like this to ever happen again. And that's why we kind of did this fairly serious episode. This is something, whenever I first heard about it, I was able to find a few sentences online about this if you go to the wikipedia page of the sea and poison it is incredibly barren uh, just out of curiosity yeah let's bring it up yeah that's two paragraphs and a cast yeah wow that's it and there isn't even a link there to like the fukuoka medical dissections Vivisected by Japanese surgeons and medical experiments, and that takes you to Unit, unit 731. Unit 731. We will get into Unit 731, but this is not the, the live vivisections. Unit 731 was a Japanese camp where they performed cold weather experiments on Chinese prisoners. We're talking like taking somebody, stripping them naked and pouring buckets of water over them to see how long they'd live before they'd freeze to death. Uh... There was an incredible movie about Unit 731. And, I mean, they would freeze people and then break their fingers off. It was... It was pretty horrible. It was pretty horrible. A lot... A lot of people lost their souls in this. Why does the Wikipedia link for vivisected by Japanese surgeons in medical experiments 
why does it take me to unit 731? I have no idea. I, I wondered that just myself. Said, like related, maybe. Yeah. I guess so. I guess yeah, so. Yeah, a lot of people like I think lost their souls and and willingly in some cases they they gave into the darkness and uh, I think that they had had wanted to for a long time and here was the chance. It was a serial <sighs> killer's dream. Yeah, quite really. honestly. Like like they basically the victims are just handed to you. All, all my worst ideas, you know, mm-hmm. I get to enact them right now, right here, and uh, probably imagine that they would go free of punishment. And what do you know? They pretty much did. Yeah. Which is. <sighs> it's infuriating. It's it's infuriating. infuriating. Yeah. There, I am not a proponent of the death penalty. Neither am I. Neither am I. But like. But you have you... those moments. You have those moments when you hear about something that is so horrible that you're like no you should die too yeah yes you should and it's i think it's natural there's a reason that you know even ancient texts like the bible have an eye for an eye mm-hmm. but you know also an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind um not in the bible but um but yeah it's there's there's it's it's a natural human feeling to see that kind of horror played out on our fellow human beings and if you are a human being and you empathize you think Maybe this person who did it should suffer the same fate. See, for me, it's almost a twofold thing. Mm-hmm. For me, it's like I cannot, I cannot imagine the pain that you have put onto another family. Yeah. And if your ceasing of existence on this plane gives that family some relief, you owe it to them to to be gone. That's why I think, like, murderers, a lot of murderers do not deserve the death penalty, but I think pedophiles and rapists do, because, quite honestly, it gives the victim some closure. Because the victim the victim is still here. Right. The victim is still existing on the same plane as them, so, it, you know, if, it's almost like being in the same room. You know, if you're in the same room as somebody that you have severely harmed uh, and, and traumatized, you know, possibly for the rest of their lives, uh, you owe it to them to fucking leave. Right, right. <laughs> And then there's another side of me, and I, I do believe in an afterlife. I know a lot of people don't, and I'm not going to push my beliefs on anybody else. But I think that we have to look and go, what you have done is so incredibly horrible that we can't even judge it on this plane of existence. You need to face... Some higher power, because we don't have it here in this reality Mm -hmm. for what you've done. And the fact that they all walked away is that's just no, not nobody who does shit like that should be allowed to walk and live a normal life. If if you're not a proponent of the, the, the death penalty, great. Life sentence, behind bars, rehabilitation, attempts at rehabilitation. That's absolutely fine. Give them books, teach them classes, what, you know, like have them go to church services or whatever, you know, that, that might help them. I'm, I'm all for, you know, I don't think incarceration should be as horrifying as it is. I think rehabilitation, like there are some countries, I don't have any stats on me right now because this is just came Sweden. Up. Sweden. Trust yes, me, Sweden. Sweden. Yeah, there's some countries that really focus highly on rehabilitation and it has such good results and we treat it as a punitive measure instead and we don't do the rehabilitation as much and it causes recidivism 
and it 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 it, it just. It's not it's not working. What we're doing isn't working and it's because it's for profit. Recidivism is good. Repeat customers, that's what they want. And I'm yeah. saying this as a person who used to work at a company that made the the phone services, that like the, the phone systems and the uh offender management systems for prisons. So part of the prison industrial complex, I used to write the tech manuals for. <laughs> and so I can see the profit. You know, I got to see, I could see it in my my the company owners freaking jag that sat in the parking lot yeah. every day you know the the thing that gets me and i i hesitate to go to this but i am going to go to this there is a supernatural aspect oh to we're this going to the too. supernatural aspect all right I'm, I'm eager to hear where this goes nobody said a damn thing yeah it's almost like it was some sort of disease it was like an idea that infested everybody and nobody spoke up and went this is wrong Okay, so a couple possible things. I mean, we do have the Stanford Prison Experiments that oh, shows yes. that we have many different yeah. things. But could, but again, Stanford Prison Experiments, we can just roll that right off the top of our you know heads, like us. Oh yeah, Stanford Prison Experiments. Mm-hmm. We we know what that is. The Sea and Poison. Granted, it's it was international, and we are taught less international history in U.S. schools. Sorry, foreigners, <laughs> they don't teach us much. Um, we have to learn on our own. But this was kind of. This is, U.S. This is U.S. history. This is U.S. citizens, U.S. airmen being tortured and killed. This is killed. something that should be taught. Yeah. This is something that, that we should know about so that we don't forget it. A lot of people don't like Civil War reenactments because they're ashamed of that part of American history. I say fucking fantastic. The late unpleasantness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I say fucking fantastic. Have Civil War reenactments every fucking day of the week. That way we don't forget the horror that was slavery Mm -hmm. and the horror that is war too absolutely i used to read uh, i read a series of books by uh, a historical fiction author john jakes and he did uh, a series in this he did a couple series in the civil war but um and one that also featured uh in in one section of the johnstown flood which Mm. is interesting to come upon i wasn't expecting it but i'll get to that in a second but yeah they would call uh like when a private first went to battle um, his very first battle, they would call it seeing the elephant. I don't know if this is from history or if this is something that he made mm-hmm. up. I never looked it up, uh, to be honest, but it was this idea of, you know, you, you don't know until you've seen it, you know, you don't know how big an elephant is until you're standing right in front of it. And you're like, Oh my, you are large. You don't know how awful battle is. And that sheer terror. We don't know. No. Neither of us has been in it. Um, and it was very different back then too. You know, it, it was, it was much bloodier. You, you had much different technology being used and and many different weapons than what we have available today the the loss of life was extremely like far higher than what we have in warfare today generally speaking but uh but yeah that i kept on thinking about that idea of you know when we were talking about the horrors of war of you know like oh he well he's just seen the elephant and the johnstown flood thing was i'm actually it was um reading this book and it was like follows a family through uh history like the the family line Uh, and actually the very first book is the bastard (laughs) which i was like i can't read this in public (laughs) i was they made a tv movie called the bastard it was based on the book was it based on the john jakes book Mm -hmm. okay i need to find this yeah i did enjoy that series i remember the bastard being on whenever i was a kid oh my gosh yeah yeah, these are older books yeah so i'm reading along and i'm probably i don't even know how far along in the series i was but i followed this family since they first like i think landed on the shores of america 
And uh, as immigrants, and I, I get to this point, it's 1889, and the, the one daughter is a, in a traveling actor's troupe, and they're on a train, and, and it's all, like, rainy and outside, and she's like, oh, what what town are we coming into again? And somebody goes, Johnstown, and I'm like, oh, I know what's going to happen. You're probably going to die. She didn't, but her husband did. Oh, well, that's good. Because of anti-Semitism. Of course. <laughs> so, not, not any moist-related fatalities here. Just well, anti-Semitism. It wasn't the water, but uh, it was because, like, somebody saw that he was Jewish and was like, well, uh, no, I'm not going to help him. <laughs> so Push him back into the water. Exactly. Here, hold this rock. <laughs> It'll help you float. Have some barbed wire. Yes. Yes, in addition to the horror that was the Johnstown flood, it also managed to wipe out a barbed wire factory, and then everything ended up dammed up by the stone bridge, which then caught on fire. So you had flood, barbed wire, and fire. We will tell this story next May. We're doing the Johnstown flood, I swear. Welcome to Johnstown. I kind of hope it is one of my dreams that we do a live show, and I'd love for the Johnstown flood that to be is our true. first live that show. That would be great. We might want to save it for a live show. Yeah. You guys, tell your friends, because then we could eventually do a live show, and we could do the Johnstown flood, and that would be so super exciting. It would be. It I mean, that's would one of be. my published short stories is set during the Johnstown flood, because... I was trying to figure out a topic for it. I needed to do a historical romance. And uh, I was sitting there and I'm like, but what topic would I do? And Jax is just staring at me like I'm the dumbest person on earth. And he's like, maybe the Johnstown flood since you're fascinated by it. And I'm like, why oh, yeah. didn't I think of that? So I have him to thank. I have him to thank for a lot of things, but for giving me inspiration. So Fantastic. Any big plans for this week? Um. Oh, geez. Uh, the, the, this was the last day of class. And then finals week is next week. My students are handing in their formal reports. So I will next week have a huge stack of papers to grade. So I'm going to do some cleaning, maybe, and some cross-stitching and listening to true crime podcasts, definitely. Nice. Because I'm going to, like, it's kind of, it's the calm before the storm for me, so... So yeah, that's my plan for this this weekend, essentially. Oh, and we're going to the new Permani Brothers on Saturday. Yes. Yeah, we're taking Tiggy up to get her, her winter tires on. Oh, she's a beast with those tires. First time she I got the winter tires on, I was driving her through the parking lot, which was just like solid ice and snow, and I was just like, oh, Tiggy, you incorrigible flirt. By the way... <laughs> Tiggy is Christy's car. Yes, it is my car. I'm not like, you know, <laughs> talking about a dog or I don't even know. Um, it's a horse. <laughs> <laughs> getting snow tires on my horse. So, so yeah, uh, excited about going to the new Permani Brothers. If you're nice. um, not from around Pennsylvania or, oddly enough, Florida, Permani Brothers is a sandwich chain that uh, I believe originated in Pittsburgh. I mean, it's very Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. um, but And they serve delicious sandwiches. And on top of those sandwiches... like. It, it, in addition to the, your regular sandwich toppings, is French fries that are delicious and coleslaw that is amazing, and it is so good and so bad for you, but also so good. Permani Brothers, be a sponsor. Yeah. <laughs> I love, I love the Pittsburgh accent. I, I, I sit mm. with a lady at work who says yins all the time. Oh like, yins! Oh my god! The first time I heard that, I was actually working in tech support for an ISP up in the northern part of the state, and I'd never heard yins before. And the first time I heard that, I'm sitting there, me, my grammarian self, at said 17. I'm like looking at my phone, like, what, uh, what did you even just say? It was the same experience the first time I heard radiator. Mm -hmm. People like to pronounce radiate, radiator as radiator. And I'm like, you know what? It doesn't radiate heat, it radiates heat. So it's a radiator. So. But there is an R in wash. Wash. No. The washing line. I'm going down to the creek. I got my clothes wet and gonna put them up on the washing line. Funny, weird. Um, uh, 
linguist thing. Mm-hmm. Jackson and his brother uh, cannot pronounce coal right. They both say it like cool, but his parents say it fine. Huh. Yeah, I thought that was weird. So what are you up to this week? I'm sorry, that was such a tangent. That's okay. That's I've a... been drinking to cope. No, no, that's that's quite okay. I was actually sitting here thinking the funniest, uh, the funniest thing I've ever heard with the Pittsburgh accent was, I'm not going out there. There's a bunch of black guys around. <laughs> yes, yes. Black guys? Black ice. Black ice. Okay. Woo. That was bad. <laughs> there was a, a fantastic little web series. It was... Uh, That's the one. Yeah, was, yep, yep. Greg and Donnie. Greg and Donnie, yes, mm-hmm. yes. When they had the, the argument about, what was it? Uh, not lima beans, but... Um, it was New Year's Eve, and he wanted, they wanted yeah. to go out for a beer run. He, I ain't going out there. There's a bunch of black guys out there. I think Donnie got mad at me one day in real life, the guy that plays Donnie. Really? <laughs> yes. Oh my I gosh. can't prove it was him, but I I had like a ton of trash in my car. So I go to the car wash in Westmont and I take all this trash and I fill up the garbage can at the car wash. And as I'm pulling out, I look in my rear view mirror, mirror and this other guy has pulled in and he's like, he's got like the empty jug of antifreeze. <laughs> oh no! That I, well, not antifreeze, the empty jug of washing fluid that I put in the trash. And he's just going like with his arms <laughs> stretched out and an incredulous look on his face. And he throws the empty jug at my car. <laughs> oh, I no. guess he was pissed that I filled up the trash can because you're right. I should have thrown it out on the street like a barbarian. But I swear to God, it was Donnie. Like it, wow! Like I would put my hand on a stack of Bibles and say it was the guy that plays Donnie. Well, I will say to Donnie, uh, Jackson and I once sat in a mall parking lot in a state that I will not name, but that is flat, and uh, watched a guy clean out his car. There were uh, there was not a single trash can to be found. Mm. He basically just took everything, uh, tossed it on the ground, and so there was a nice pile of trash around where his car had been, and then. Phew, hightailed it out of there and that was infuriating almost as infuriating as when people throw stuff out of their car windows near our house yeah so what are you doing this week (laughs) i am finishing up season two of hellier i suggest everybody watch both seasons of hellier um it's a documentary about this little town in Kentucky called Hellier, H-E-L-L-I-E-R. And what service can we find this on? Amazon Prime. Okay. And excellent. YouTube. YouTube okay. soon. Uh, they they premiere on Amazon Prime, but all the seasons, all the episodes are up on YouTube. And probably season two will be up on YouTube uh, by the time we get here. It's uh, Greg and Dana Newkirk. They're uh, supernatural investigators. They have an amazing museum that I want to go to. Now, is this fiction or nonfiction? This is nonfiction. Okay, all right. They have uh, they have an incredible museum that goes traveling around called they. It's essentially a museum of haunted objects that you can go see, and but in this documentary, they receive a message from a guy named David Christie, who says, "I'm having some trouble." At my house, there are these things that come out of the caves and kind of mess with me. He goes, can you help? And he said, a guy named Terry Wrist, who said he's an acquaintance of yours, uh, put me in touch with you and gave me this e- your email. They don't know who Terry Wrist is. They try to get in touch with Dave Christie again. They can't find him. But they end up getting photos and they realize... There's a very famous case from the 60s called the Hopkinsville Goblins. 
they realize these things that are attacking this guy late at night are the Hopkinsville goblins. They're coming out of the cave and it goes amazingly weirder from there on out. And I mean, it's getting to a point where uh, John Keel, the man who wrote the Mothman prophecies, he, uh, he said that whenever you start to look at this, it starts to mess with you. And you can actually kind of see it in season two. I don't think they realize it, but I think they're very much being messed with on some supernatural level. Wow. Yeah. And it is. Oh, yeah. I kind of want to watch that. Yeah. They are getting all sorts of false leads and they're going down some really strange paths in season two that I'm not certain are the correct paths to go down. But yeah, Hellier is okay. a fantastic documentary series. Absolutely fantastic. It might end up being where Jackson and I might just like hang out on Christmas Day and just like like watch something and like drink Bloody Marys or whatever. Or we might play video games. We might do both. Um but that I might like save that for let's see if he like gets into it. So I think you'll like it. I think you'll like it. So all right. Well I think that is it for oh, this week. I feel drained. I feel pretty drained too. So um uh, if you have not looked at our offerings on Patreon, we are offering bonus episodes uh, that are about 20 minutes-ish, and we go into... It's been related each week so far. We've been able to find something related. I'm not going to promise that it's going to be related all the time, because that's a tough promise to make when we don't always know if we can find something. Yeah. I think next week, not really related. Okay. Because next week, our old tiny crimey is kind of cute. Oh, good. A cute one. Yeah. contrast with the horror that was this week. I needed so- something. I needed needed this christy you did you did yes you you deserve it so much for for dealing with this horror firsthand i only had to deal with it secondhand Ugh. so yeah check out our patreon patreon.com slash oldtimeycrimey to see our offerings there we also offer early release of episodes you can get the episode the weekly episode on wednesday instead of friday so you can hear it before the rest of the world and we have our business card templates that you can get so you can be a private dick or a flat foot. Um, or gumshoe. No, a gumshoe. Yeah, gumshoe and, or, or a private dick. Uh, also, if you're not the monthly donation type, that's okay. We like a good one-night stand. Mm-hmm. So uh, go uh, PayPal us at oldtimeycrimey at gmail.com. Every dollar counts. Every dollar helps. And we will be eternally grateful and appreciate you so much. We also have our Amazon wish list. Uh, it's in our link tree on our social media bios. If you uh, click on that link tree, you can see uh, the various links to everything we have, including uh, our interview this week, which we need to do a shout out for yes. last week's episode. Uh, a little producing stuff for you guys to hear. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so you can buy a book for us and choose what case we do for a week. And we will give you a shout out and be forever grateful for you providing us reading material and episode material. Uh, also, don't forget about our social media. We are on Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, and Instagram as, guess what? Old timey crimey it's like we planned it it's almost like it was on purpose so yeah come see us there follow us and uh we're posting content weekly uh not just the episode links but you know whenever there's some old-timey crimey related stuff or whenever there's pictures and stuff related to the episode we post that so so yeah um that has been this week's episode of old-timey crimey thank you so much for joining us we appreciate you guys so much um and uh yeah, it's been it's been an episode. Mm-hmm. That I have still have to episode. 
an episode. It's been an episode. Yes. An episode of drama, and uh, I still have to listen to it again in order to make the taglines and such fun times for Christy ahead. So, uh, yeah, so that's been it for us, you guys. Um, have a great week, and bye. Bye. My sources for this week's episode are The Sea and Poison by Shasuki Endo, TheGuardian.com, BaltimoreSun.com, JapanToday.com, and TheDailyBeast.com. My sources for this week are sitting here and listening to Scott horrify the crap out of me and the nightmares that are to come. And what's in your cup there? Beer! <laughs> I would like to give a shout out to BrewDog's Hazy Jane New England Style IPA for getting me through this. <laughs> 